Who knows this scene? Who's experienced this? You're, you're on your way to work and you can't find your keys. To be honest, I have this uh, probably once every two weeks, generously, maybe a bit more. My wife's looking at me like that, but a little bit more than that. And I start off in these moments, uh, very godly. I'm just praying, Lord. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard stories of you finding things, Lord Jesus, for people. Please find things. 30 seconds pass. Why haven't I found this thing, Lord, that I clearly just left in that spot where I always leave things, like my wife advises me to, put them in the bowl and you won't leave them, Matt, or won't lose them. Um, and then it gets worse. Then it just goes worse. Then I just abandon all Christian perspective on life and I'm tearing around the house as I pull my hair. I go, where the flip are my keys? Where are my keys? Becky, where did you put my keys? What have you done with my keys? I bet you the kids have nicked my keys and they're using them in some kind of teddy bears picnic key party where they're all driving cars to work. And I, and I flip out completely. And then eventually at the end of this story, I find them. Exact, or you find them. That's, I like it more when you're serving in kids work, just so you know. I find them. I find, I find them. Usually like exactly where I left them, in my back pocket the night before, in my dressing gown, somewhere like that. This, you know, this isn't the only thing that I forget. I just, I'm going to be honest with you today. Um, do you know, I'm from a big family. I got, I got one of, I'm one of six siblings. And they have all procreated a lot. They've got like 13, 30, I think we were up to like 13 nieces and nephews between us. Becky doesn't even know. That makes me feel better. Uh, you know, a couple of them are yet to start having kids as well. And I forget their names and their birthdays, let alone their birthdays. Like, do you know, I live in fear at Christmas time that there's going to be one of my nieces and nephews there. You know, all the others are opening presents from us. And, and there's this little question goes up, Mummy, where's, where's my present from Uncle Matt? Doesn't he, doesn't he love me? I can imagine my sister just saying to her kids, you know, it's, don't worry, it's not that he doesn't love you, he just doesn't remember you exist. <laughs> like, just this horrible thing. Do you know, I, I kid you not, this year as well, to get around this problem, I, um, I took on, on the 1st of January, about five past 12, I sent our Happy New Year message and accompanied it with a, and happy birthday, everybody, as well, for this year coming. <laughs> Didn't cut the mustard. Uh, do you know, why, why am I starting by rambling about forgetfulness? What's this? Do you know, I think the reality about forgetfulness is that in uh, most instances, it is, uh, it's a bad quality, isn't it? It's seen as an unhelpful quality. When we forget commitments we've made, it kind of puts on other people. When we forget to cherish special moments with people, we undervalue people and can leave them hurt. When we forget where we've put our keys, it causes much stress. When we forget too much, it starts to be seen as a medical issue. It's a negative thing, forgetfulness. But as a Christian, we need to be careful of seeing this word forgetful in a negative light all the time. Because there are times when forgetfulness is something we are asked to do and aspire to and chase after by our Lord and King Jesus. Where forgetfulness is not a bad thing, but it's something he commends and commands us to do. I just want to give an example of this before I get into the, the main passage today. Do you know, there is a point at which you need to forget as a Christian and keep no record in your heart of mind of wrongs that have been done against you. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says this. Where you have to follow the example of God 
and Jesus described in Isaiah 43, 25 and Hebrews 10, 14 to 18, where he says, God says, I remember your sins no more. Where there's no more judgment in our hearts carried to other people. When we've completely died to their impact on our lives, those wrongs, where we've forgotten them. Do you know, if you don't know Jesus today, this is one of the main things becoming a Christian is about. God, through the cross of Jesus Christ and the work he did that, completely erased all the things you have ever done wrong towards him. He completely forgot them. All the laws you have broken, all the bad things you have ever done. You know, anything that was red as scarlet in his eyes became as white as snow when you trusted in Jesus Christ. And he asks you as Christians to display this kind of forgetful love. That's the gospel. And in fact, there's a point in which Christianity and in our Christian lives to retain the memory of things done wrong to us becomes more of a sin than the thing done in the first place to us. No, we're told if we keep hold of them, a bitter root can grow in us. Hebrews 12, 15 says that can cause trouble and defile, make dirty many. Do you know, church, there are some memories where a past sin needs to be retained. You know, where there's a safeguarding issue, we've obviously got to do that for wisdom's sake. But in 99.9%, a quick forgiveness, a total godly forgetfulness is what we are called to do when we have been wronged. And in any situation, we're called to have a far greater concern for what we have done wrong than what that person has done wrong to us. Otherwise, self-righteousness, division, unmended wounds will be the fruit of our lives. It's not the way the world works around us, but there's a great problem in us if we don't get hold of this and live like it in the church. That's just one example of godly forgetfulness. Make sense? We've got to be forgetters of the wrongs done against us. And the passage we're going to look at today really builds on this need to be forgetful. Turn with me, if you will, if you've got Bibles, if you've got phones, whatever you use, to Philippians 3.12, to one I'm going to have it up for a little while. One twelve. That's, yeah, 3.12, to one I'm going to have it up for a bit, but not the whole way through, so it'll help having it in front of you. Where Paul the Apostle writes this on our journey through the book of Philippians. Not that I've already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and their glory, their shame. With minds set on earthly things, 
But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Like every bit of Paul's writing, there is so much in here that can only be fully juiced uh, by meditating on it, by getting hold of it, by going back and reading it. Here we see like a rich tapestry of ideas woven together, where even the very last words in it, my beloved, my beloved, convey a depth of love for God's church and people that should challenge us to ask where our hearts are at towards the church. Do we see it as our beloved or are other logs getting in the way of loving his bride? But right at his heart of this small, rich passage of scripture is a call, a createment, again, if you will, to have a mature Christian forgetfulness that calls us to a much broader forgetfulness than just forgetting the wrongs that are done against us. This passage puts it like this. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul's example here is one of a forgetfulness of what lies behind. And exchanging this for a mindset that holds on to, that strives for, that runs after primarily what lies ahead. This raises a question, doesn't it? What does Paul mean? When he's saying what lies behind. And what is he now fixed on instead of this that lies ahead? We're going to spend the rest of the morning just looking at these two things. So let's look at what lies behind firstly. What lies behind? Do you know when Paul uses this phrase, it's actually pretty simple. He's talking about everything in his past life that could snare him and prevent him running the race and living the life that pleases his king, Jesus. Anything that could prevent him running the race that Jesus puts before him. Anything that could trip him up. Anything that could disqualify him or any other sporting analogy that you might like. I know Phoebe loves, she loves football analogies. It's not a Freedom Church preach, she says, unless there's a football analogy in there. So anything that could stop him scoring that winning goal, cause him to be like Stevie Gerrard slipping over in that season and losing Liverpool the title that time. Don't laugh, Chris Butland. That's great pain for some sitting here. Do you know, but anything that could trip you up, anything that could snare you, he's talking about. And what's clearest in his mind's eye is the way, all the ways he was living before he knew Jesus Christ. So his pre-salvation life. Do you know, we see this directly in the verses before in the, the passage that if you didn't hear it, Chris C.B. spoke on so excellently last week. Do you know, where Paul gives a brief account of what his life was before, like before he knew Jesus in 3, 3 to 6. And what he describes in his life in this brief passage is this. He describes on one hand, he was higher up the food chain than those around him. He was doing really well. He was well educated. He was born into a great family. He was had real social status. He had power. He had authority. He had standing. He had place in society. And by a moral code of the day, the moral code of the day, the, Lord of the laws of the Jews, 
He was doing really well. He had those absolutely nailed. This was a successful moral guy by his own reckoning. But on the other side, on the other hand, he described himself as a guy who in reality had just brushed over and ignored the things he really did wrong. He was ignorant to the fact that he was actually doing things that God didn't want him to. So focused on the worldly goals that he had. And he had confused wrong and right in God's eyes. He was a guy with some real privilege and comfort in the world who thought he was living right but was living wrong. And as Chris put it last week, he was building his life and putting his confidence on the wrong foundations. And he hadn't even stopped to consider how far that had taken him away from what God really wanted for him. And Paul here is saying in verse 13 to 14 that now Jesus is his Lord. He is seeking to totally forget this way of pre-Jesus living, completely leave it behind him. All of his former foundations and beliefs and aims that had dominated his eyes and his view, that had captivated him to cause him to live this way, he was putting them away for something new. He was leaving pre-salvation life. But when Paul says this phrase, forgetting what lies behind, he actually has more, it's a broader scope than just this one thing he has in mind. What Paul has is more like what he says in Hebrews 2.1, where he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. As the uh, preacher Pawson writes on this passage, he says, what Paul is saying here is that you have to exercise your forgettery. See, other people make up words as well. We remember the past too much. You can remember your past failures on one hand and your past successes on the other, and both of them will confuse you. You may have had some terrible failures in your Christian race. You may have had some terrible mistakes. Forget them. God has. As soon as you mention them to him, he forgave and forgot them. Forget them and forget those successes. Please forget them too. Or else you will live in them. You will rest in them and on them. Forget your past achievements. Can you imagine an athlete running around a racetrack who keeps looking back saying, ah, there's the 50-yard mark. Got past that well. Running a bit more than saying, oh, there's the 100-yard point. I got past that, didn't I? You don't win the race like that, Pawson says. You know, equally in sport, we know if there's always a focus on failure, you're never going to score that penalty, are you? You're never going to beat that hurdle record. It's one for you, Ben. Hmm. So when verse 15, in verse 15, Paul says, those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think, any of you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. He's saying, Christians, we need to become incredibly forgetful. We need to mature and grow into a forgetfulness of everything we built our lives upon before we were made new creations in Christ that was not part of Jesus' plan for us. And as Christians, we need to stop being so concerned with and looking over our shoulders that we run. As we run, we stumble and fall. Go off course. Don't win. Don't pursue well. 
Yeah, it's not that Jesus, that Paul didn't appraise what went before. He just did that in the verses that came before. But he's totally forgotten this wrong worldly aims and values in his life. These weren't his goals anymore. He had exited one race and entered a totally different race, which was won by completely different means. This was a whole life forgetfulness he was inviting us to. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Simple enough. Forget it. But actually, truly forgetting what lies behind has a couple of real challenges to it that I just want to talk into a little bit this morning. That Paul would definitely not have been immune or naive to. So, first one of these, the challenge of the crowd. It's hard to stand out of a crowd, isn't it? It's hard to do something different, even in church sometimes if it feels a little bit weird you know that what God's speaking to you about a little bit out there you don't want to do it because people are going to look at you do you know trying to change a culture in a workplace is hard being an opposing view amongst your mates is difficult it's all because the crowd exerts a pressure on you to conform to what they are doing not to be different to be apart from it can be exhausting. It can be like being on one of those bungee ropes. You ever been on one of those, those big inflatable things where you kind of run this side? It's great, it's great. But the further away you get from it, the more it pulls you back and suddenly you find yourself back at the beginning. Do you know? You know, we live in a world where the vast majority of people are still living for goals that don't involve Jesus. They're running a race that Paul is calling us to forget. A good, happy life, a really nice forever house, self-achievement, money, wealth, earthly status, comfort, and a bit of death at the end. You know, as such, they're a constant reminder of the life, the race that we used to be in. Comfort, status, and ignorance to sin. Not having to deal with any of those really irritating things that a life with Jesus throws up. Mission, giving, suffering, clashes with the worldview around you. Real pressures to come back into this race. Don't leave, don't leave for that race. Stay in this race. Make those your primary goal. Don't leave it. Do you know, and Paul was not immune to this type of challenge or forgetting. Throughout this letter to the Philippians, Paul describes a huge number of people who are around them living with the same kind of issues he used to. 117, selfish ambition. 3, 2 to 3, a confidence in the flesh and living well according to moral rules. And even this passage that we've just read, 18 and 19, for many, for many whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is their shame with mindset on earthly things. Paul's time, in Paul's time, just as in ours, there were so many people inside and outside the church who were still living with this belly world race of self-gain and ignoring what God called shameful in their lives that he had left behind. They were all around him. And in fact, if we look through the book of Philippians, one of his great messages, church, you started really well. Don't get caught up with the wrong crowd. Tell it to our children all the time. Don't get caught up with this crowd. Stay, stay with the good crowd. Stay following the good examples. Send them do you harm. 
even though they can look appealing sometimes, this earth-belly-focused life, especially when following the example of a crucified Messiah. You know, all of these people were glaring reminders to Paul and the Philippian church who had and would face trials of the lifestyle they left behind, beckoning them back. It's a challenge, a great challenge to mature forgetfulness. There's a crowd living another way around us. The second thing, again, Chris spoke well on this last week so well. I just want to top it up with some thoughts here. The second thing that can work against this mature forgetfulness is the challenge of condemnation that doesn't let you forget. You know, all Christians have done and do things that are wrong sometimes. Just a fact. If you think you don't and you don't recognize this, that's called pride and that's doing something wrong. Mm. You know, and for many of us, some of the greatest torments carried in life are the memories of things we have done wrong to others or our own failings. These memories can all too often sneak into our minds, catch us off guard and sneakily and quietly whisper in our ears, you're not fit for the life God's called you to. You're not fit for that. In other words, they condemn us. They cause condemnation. And condemnation works like this. Hey, Josh. Remember that thing? Remember that pride? Remember that unforgiveness? The way you lied? Remember looking at that porn, mate? Remember looking at that? Remember when that caught you out? Remember that failure when you stepped out in faith and it really didn't work out? Do you remember that? You thought it was faith, but you were wrong. Because of that thing, you can never fully know God. You can never really step out in God's plans and purposes for your life. You're never going to be good enough. It's never going to work out. You're redundant. You're out of a job in his kingdom. Jog on. You know, I know that recently some decisions have, that I've made that have hurt other people have really, they've really haunted me. Uh, my own failures, just as a general human being, as a father, as an elder, as an employee, it can feel like insurmountable walls, causing me to ask, can I still stand with any integrity because I did those things? Paul is so helpful here as you face these things and if you're facing these things. You know, Paul has done some horrible things. He had done some horrible things in his past, truly horrible things. And I hope none of you have done If you have, please come and speak to us very quickly because we probably need to get the police involved. In Acts 7, where we first meet Paul, he was overseeing the stoning to death of an innocent man. Stoning him to death, looking pridefully on, happily. And Jesus' very first words to him were, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Part of anybody else's salvation story? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you locking me up and attacking me? And Paul thought it was completely right what he was doing as he condemned others, 
He felt justified. But then something happened. He came to know Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit made a home and a light in him. And because of this, something was switched on inside that exposed all of the dark corners of his soul. Wrong things could no longer hide. Where he thought he was wearing kingly robes, he realised he was only wearing mucky rags. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he suddenly called himself the chief of all sinners. The boss of the lot. The sinner of sinners. And as he came to realise this, he knew the pressures of condemnation to be defined by the wrong he did. You know, when he first started preaching, people just didn't think he went on too long or made some fairly dodgy points. They were afraid of him. They said things like, hey, John, isn't that guy the guy who stoned your Uncle Steve? Stay away from him. They were afraid of him, it says. But Paul's response to this pressure was amazing. As he came to understand what God had done in his life, he wrote statements like Romans 8 verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Condemnation is a pressure to define yourself by the memories of failure. For Paul, all his failings did was remind him of God's grace, God's forgiveness, and God's willingness to forget and restore him. For for him, every memory of his wrongdoing became forgotten. Not as an act of will, but an act of worship. We're in a swell of praise and thanksgiving for God's forgiveness and compassion over him. He overflowed in gratitude. Freedom, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, it switches on the brightest light that never goes out. The highlights dirt and continues through through your Christian walk, and this can be painful. Whether that's at the beginning or later on in your journey, the temptation is always to look back at those things without remembering that God has forgotten them. And the truth is that God highlights them so we can continue to know the depths of his love and grace that has set us free. And the invite is always to forget them with him in the power of transformative grace. Well, without ever bowing again to the pressure of condemnation. Do you see, just like the crowd... Holding on to condemnation can be a huge challenge to truly forgetting. That we must be mindful of because these past things and looking over our shoulder all the time can hinder us running forwards. So what's the trick? What's the trick to becoming mature forgetters? Well, I think that lies in our second statement here. What lies ahead? What lies ahead? But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. What does he mean by what lies ahead here? What's the new race he's now running in? I think there's a few places throughout the scripture that we've looked at where we see what he means. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. 16. 
But our citizenship is heaven, in heaven, 20. And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him, even to the subject of all things to himself. I think for Paul, two things are very apparent in these verses. One, Jesus had already won unimaginable riches for people that he never knew before he was saved. The grace and lack of condemnation that we have just discussed was one of these. And secondly, some of the greatest riches of Jesus were let to be no- yet to be known. Let me just rest on this last bit here. I think we see this truth that some of the greatest riches were yet to be won right here. That there is a prize in verse 14 to be won still in the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 20. We are awaiting a saviour to come out of the kingdom of which we are citizens, Jesus Christ. This word citizens is really important here. No, citizenship is a great privilege that we often forget. You know that there's probably like 90, 99% of the world would kill to be citizens of the UK. And we take it for granted. Citizenship is our right to law, to safety, to governance. It's access to great things. And he's saying here that you're already a citizen of heaven. Paul was a citizen of Rome, which is a massive privilege. Huge privilege. Yet he didn't rest on that. He said he was part of a greater privilege, being a citizen already in heaven because of what Christ has done. And from that citizenship, we're awaiting a saviour. 21. He says that we're awaiting him transforming our lowly body to be like his glorious body, a nice hench body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Do you know, if you remember back to the introduction I did to this letter a number of weeks ago, I highlighted that one of the greatest themes in Philippians was that Paul only had one finish line in mind, just the one, and that was the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ. The day on which he would return and bring everything under his rule and reign and would restore all that was broken, gathering up and restoring all his people and protecting them from judgment and bringing them on into eternal life. This was the one day he was working for now the only goal he had in mind and as he had dwelt on this rich promise of Christ you know all of those things all of those previous things those earthly belly pleasures that had once caught him those goals those worldly aims those worldly finish lines just seemed a bit rubbish to him compared to being a part of God's restored, perfect, eternal kingdom on earth and seeking to invite as many people into that as possible to join him in the great riches of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. For Paul, that was the only aim. Everything else was mocking comparison to that promise of Jesus Christ. For Paul, he was forgetting this. He'd stopped situating himself here 
put himself here. This was so much more appealing. He put his identity in here and he's running for these things. What rise ahead? Freedom, I, I don't know how you position yourself in this world in light of Christ. Where is your identity? Do you still position yourself more in the world race? Or more in what Christ has won for you? What Christ is calling you on to? In the great race that he has set before us as part of his people. How are you doing with godly, mature forgetfulness like this? Or have you got re-caught up in the crowd? Are your eyes fixed on those worldly goals? Do you live with that condemnation? The Bible says, be in the world but not of it. Know your privileges as a citizen. Be captivated by the fact there is a day of Christ coming. Forget what lies behind. God has forgotten it. Strive on for this abundant blessing in Christ. Just go back to verse 12 and 13. 12 says this, Not have I have already attained this or am made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what is ahead. Some good news here. Paul says he's not attained it yet. That's great news. He's not got the Christian life 100% perfect. He's still pursuing it. He recognizes places he too could be better at it. But this doesn't cause him to give up. Instead, when he considers that he has not attained something, he realizes that there is yet more blessing to come in Jesus Christ more prizes in Christ to get hold of that he hasn't yet. So he presses on and strains forward to get hold of all of the glorious riches of Jesus Christ. And this is the example that he's urging us on in, when in verse 17 he says, brothers, join in imitating me. Join in imitating my example of this. Freedom... I want to finish by exhorting you this morning it's really interesting worship was all about wanting to stir up our passion again wasn't it it was all about just wanting to recap god wanting to recaptivate our heart in prayer in the spirit in his coming stirring us on this word is very much the same i want to exhort you this morning on the back of this word i want to encourage you i want to call you stand up strive on press on Forget human belly earth goals. Leave the crowd and condemnation behind. And sign up afresh to God's eternal race. I feel like some of you are like marathon runners who got a bit sore on the way. Or have gone, look, this is just too hard. I want to be a bystander watching the running race, not running it. I just want to encourage you, I believe the Lord's word to you is a gentle one saying, no, 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 stand up, put back on your running number and get racing anew. Come with me. Such grace has been shown to you and such grace I have for the world. Come, citizen of heaven, my beloved, run with me again.
Let me pray. If you're in condemnation and you know it, if you're feeling condemned by something, if you realise, you know, you've not really stepped out of the world's race, if the day of Christ has not fully grasped you, if you know you've been a bit passive in pressing on in Christ, if you've never known the forgiveness of Christ in your life, please stand with me just a second. If any of those fit you, please just stand with me. I just want to pray for you. Spirit of God, we just thank you so much. You don't come to condemn, you come to provoke. Lord Jesus, you come to shed light and you come to bring freedom. You come to teach us of the riches of your glorious grace. Spirit of God, that you would rest on us afresh this morning. Lord God, I pray that you'd rest on everyone who stood for whatever reason they've stood for and that you would meet with them and they would know your glory. Spirit, flow over this church, we pray. Stir us, call us on. Let us be captivated by what you captivated Paul with. Lord God, not down in tools for anything, anything other than that riches of the day of Christ and bringing as many as long as we can. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.